0: It's Christmas, so put on your hat and gloves, find some snow, roll it up into a little ball, and throw it in the face of a Dark Lord near you. Today, we're channeling all the Fred and George energy before getting into some eh, heavier topics, like Dumbledore putting a deathly hallow into the hands of a child, which you know he did intending him to find the Mirror of Erised, right? Welcome to the Bladed Binge Podcast, the Harry Potter podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously, which happens when you didn't read them, till you're over 25. I'm Zach, and that's exactly when I read this series. Today, we're headed into chapters 12 and 13 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's or Philosopher's Stone, The Mirror of Erised,
1: and Nicholas Flamel. Hi, and thanks for listening to the Bladed Binge podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I have two exciting updates to share that came after... The recording of this episode. First, Belated Binge now has a fancy pants website. Of course, you can go there on belatedbinge.com. You'll be able to find all of the episodes of the podcast, which also now have video versions on the episode pages of the website as well. These full video versions are also on YouTube now. You can find all the shorter videos that have been posted there, those are on the website, links to social media are on the website, links to support the show on Patreon and Anchor are on the website, but even more exciting than that, you can now engage with the show directly by leaving a voicemail right on the website. Just click the tab on the right hand side of the page to send a voicemail and have a chance of it being played on the show ask me a question, share your opinion, maybe a theory on a recent topic, or just let me know how you're liking the podcast. I wanna hear from you, literally. Second, if you're a Spotify user, you can now watch The Binge on Spotify. Yes, watch. This podcast has officially become an eligible video podcast, or VODcast, I think is what the kids are calling it. You'll still have the audio version of the episode as normal, working on some updates for that too. But Spotify users now have a choice to listen or watch each week. This is super new for me, so I may be trying some different things and asking for some opinion and uh, feedback along the way on the video side of things. When you see these as well as the versions on YouTube, you may notice that many of the intros don't have video. Don't panic, don't adjust your screen settings, because of the way that I was shooting for YouTube before, I just wasn't turning my camera on for the intros of the podcast. Uh, in most cases, this is only going to last a minute or two, and then the camera is going to come on for the play-by-play segment. Like I said, the audio version will still be there. You may see two versions uploaded in some cases. The videos on YouTube will still be there. This is just another way that Spotify users can engage with the show. And I know some of you may have recently switched to another platform, and that's totally fine. Whenever I hear of opportunities for other platforms to support video, I'll be trying that, too. Now, let's get you to the episode that you came here for. The Belated Binge Podcast.
0: Hi, and welcome to The Belated Binge Podcast. I'm Zach, and I'll be your host throughout this journey, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I was incredibly late on, like our current binge of Harry Potter, where, despite being the same age as movie Harry, I didn't read this series through until my mid-20s. That's the belated part. But after finally coming around, these books are one of my favorite forms of entertainment, so we're going to go chapter two at a time discussing world building, character development, plot holes, we'll foreshadow, we'll theorize, and... give away meaningless awards that's the binge part together they make the belated binge and today we continue our reread of the harry potter series with chapters 12 and 13 of sorcerers or philosopher's stone the mirror of erised and nicholas flamel and as usual we'll start with the play-by-play but first this podcast will have spoilers we dissect what's happening in the chapters and see how it impacts the greater story if you haven't read these things by now You're even later than I was. This podcast could also have some adult language at times. I do my best, but I'm not perfect. And let's be honest, sometimes it just makes it more fun. Some announcements before we jump into In case you missed it, I was a guest host on First Years Podcast earlier this week. First Years is geared toward adult first-time readers of the series. So if you missed that, we were talking Order of the Phoenix chapters 10 and 11 and... I had a blast, so much so, that Sarah, the host of First Years, is going to join us here next week, and we've got some eventful chapters to talk about. That being said, to catch you up from last week, Quirldomort led a troll in the castle, Snape stopped him from reaching our climax early, then he tried to murder our main character in front of the whole school. Snape slowed him down. Hermione caught Snape on fire, and all was well. Dumbledore let Quirld keep teaching, because... Master Plan. This week, we pick back up with Chapters 12 and 13 and start with our play-by-play. Play-by-play. As a reminder, the play-by-play segment of the Belated Bench podcast is where we recap the chapter or chapters that we read. This week, the Mirror of Erised begins with snow, and apparently a ton of it, and one of my favorite for like throwaway moments in this entire book, happens on the first page. The Weasley twins were punished for bewitching Snowballs to follow Quirrell around and bounce off the back of his turban. Fred and George pelting Voldemort in the face with Snowballs. Yes, this is hilarious. Yes, Voldemort is a parasite at this point and not exactly at full strength. He's probably more like what? I don't know, 10% of himself, you could argue he's not in a position to defend himself. But that didn't stop him from being able to strap himself to the back of a dude's head. I believe in the final villain exposition scene that we have to have at the end of the book, Coral mentioned being punished or something by Voldemort, his, his master. So he's not exactly a passive bystander in Coral's life. And you may even say that he's, hyper-focused on a single mission and not getting distracted by anything else, but that does not track the slightest with Voldemort's personality. Voldemort always gets distracted by anything he sees as a slight against his stature, his prowess, his greatness, his power. He believes he's the most powerful wizard of all time. He spent his entire life trying to prove how special he was in doing so through his control and physical domination over those he feels are inferior to him, which is everyone. And those who defy him, they must die. Like John Tucker. Whoever that is, I didn't watch the movie. Probably a dated reference. Now, I'm not advocating for him to kill the twins here. We have enough emotional turmoil with them later in the books, and we love the twins, but I see no believable scenario that in this world with this particular bad guy that he would let getting repeatedly bashed in the face with snowballs just slide without punishment. And that punishment would likely be severe. Remember the flashback to when he killed the potters? He considered killing a kid for simply looking at him. How's he taking this? Seems like a fumble candidate to me. And that's the first page of the chapter, so let's, let's just move on, shall we? And I promise not to go on a total rant for every single page, or try, at least. It's almost Christmas. Harry's decided that he's going to stay at Hogwarts instead of going back to the Dursleys. Draco's a dick about it. Ron was staying too. Hagrid's decorating for the holiday, and Ron offers to help. Draco's a dick about it. Ron goes after Draco. Snape's a dick about it. And he takes points from Gryffindor, regardless of Hagrid's testimony of what went down. They chat with Hagrid about how they've tried to figure out the Nicholas Flamel clue, and he gets all rattled about it. And, um, you know, this is, this is just funny because they haven't been able to find anything. They keep searching books and books and books like Hermione would do for any problem that she has and they're all about recent historically relevant wizards. It's the logical way to narrow down their research. The person must be alive and the person must be important. And since the wizarding world lacks Googleus Maximus, they're stuck with a library full of books with information. Too bad nobody has had a sweet tooth during this because their answer is on a f- chocolate frog card. Granted, Hermione's parents would probably have to fill the cavity because this is where we learn their dentists. Speaking of seemingly nonsensical information, apparently there's time for games during all of this because Ron is teaching Harry wizard's chess, which is chess. But the pieces are alive, they kick each other's asses, and they talk shit if you suck at it. This seems funny and useless, but we know better. Ron, the mini chess master, is going to come in handy later. Sparking one of those funny theories from back in the day where people thought that Ron was just a time-turner-traveling Dumbledore sent himself back to help Harry. The red hair, the chest, the addiction to sweets. I can't remember what all else went into that theory, but whatever. It's funny. Harry has the best Christmas he's ever had. He actually gets presents. He's not at the Dursleys, and he's hanging out with his best friend and his future brothers-in-law, brother-in-laws. I've six of them, and I still have no idea how to make that plural properly. Anyway, a few of the gifts are nice, and it's f- fun with the the Weasley sweater and uh, the um, the fifty cent piece from the Dursleys aside. Everything just makes. Harry feel happy but there's one gift that really matters it's the invisibility cloak which Ron is stoked about saying that they're really rare which is an understatement of course he has no idea that this is the invisibility cloak rumored to have been fashioned from death himself passed down through generations of the ignotus Peveril line this is a deathly hallow one of three objects to make the owner master of death. And Harry is an 11-year-old boy who can't wait to sneak out to go to the library with this relic. But Zach, aren't you going to talk about who gave him the cloak? Of course, just not here. Patience, young grasshopper. We shall discuss the giver of such a wonderful gift in the scouting report of our episode. For now, we're going to the library. But first, we have to have dinner, and the teachers have to get drunk. And it's got to be weird and also kind of hilarious to be a kid at Hogwarts when the teachers who have, let's face it, they've dealt with hundreds of kids for the past four months, they're ready to have a drink and get a break. This is like when you realize that there are third-grade teachers out there right now with a joint in their desk drawer counting down the minutes until recess. But the trip to the restricted section of the library does not go as planned, and Harry's chased out of there to avoid capture from Filch, who he hears reporting to Snape about how he was asked to come to Snape if anyone was wandering around at night. Of course this seems like Snape is just being overzealous and maybe even trying to catch Harry in particular at something during the holidays when he's one of the very students still there but when we but we don't know what am I trying to say we don't know when this order was given and while of course it would be perfectly fitting and within Snape's character for this to be all about Harry Snape hates Harry Snape knew Harry's dad and friends were always sneaking around. He sees nothing but a carbon copy of his worst childhood enemy when he looks at Harry. That's why he hates him, and he obviously expects him to be the exact same as James. He could have made this request to Filch, hoping to catch Harry in something, and nobody would bat an eye. And in the back of his mind, he probably does hope that he's able to do this. But that's not why he gave Filch this order to come to him if anyone is out sneaking around the castle at night. He's not the head hall monitor at Hogwarts as far as we know, although he probably could be because he's always patrolling the halls at night, sparking another one of those fun theories where people say that Snape was a vampire. That one's probably got more legs than the time-traveling Dumbledore being Ron, but we're not going down those rabbit holes right now. Um, No, this is a special side deal with Filch In an effort to catch Quirrell, Dumbledore has clearly put Snape on the Quirldamore duty this year. He knows what's going on, and rather than remove Quirrell from the school, he's decided to keep him teaching children and put Snape on his tail. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever said that the master plan was ethical. But if you want to hear more of my thoughts on why... You should listen to last week's bonus episode, Trolling Dumbledore, available to all-star level patrons on Patreon. Gooby-doo mystery sneaking around nonsense lands Harry in an empty classroom. Empty except for a giant mirror in the center of it. The Mirror of Erised, spelled backwards, desire. Harry stood in front of the mirror, and he saw his family. That's it. I'd like to have some kind of clever, sarcastically funny remark to lighten this moment, but there isn't one. This is an 11-year-old kid. He hasn't seen as much as a picture of his parents. It actually takes him a moment to figure out who was in the mirror looking back at him. Not just because, you know, holy shit, who else is in the room with me, but because he doesn't even know what his parents look like. He was a year old when they were killed. How many memories do you have from being a year old? It really is unfortunate that his couple of dream flashes never had a snapshot of either of his parents in him. Not visually, anyway. But it's a touching several paragraphs as he starts putting the picture together. His father looking like an older version of him. His mother, who had his eyes just like you know we hear A million times throughout the series he saw more family behind them as well all people he had no concept of existing prior to this moment because why would he the dursleys wouldn't even let him ask questions they surely weren't going to volunteer information early red card favorites for sure the next night he took ron along he doesn't see his family or harry's ron sees himself head boy House cup, Quidditch cup, Quidditch captain, a standout, a star. What happens next? They squabble for a minute for like, uh, you know, 11-year-olds. That's what they do. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. I want to see my parents. No, you had the mirror all night last night. Uh, All of this nonsense. And they have to book it before Mrs. Norris could rat them out to filch. At this point, Harry becomes obsessed. He's not eating. He's not engaging with Ron or anybody else. He's obviously not sleeping from going to the mirror every single night, and he's not thinking about anything else. And then the third night, he's back in front of the mirror, and bam, puppet master, the actual puppet master, the chess master, the one whose master plan is shining through in this very moment. Dumbledore knows Harry's been coming to the mirror. He knows about the invisibility cloak, obviously. And more importantly, he knows what both boys saw in the mirror because he didn't need a cloak to become invisible. He passes this off quickly, and you almost miss what it means. But it means that he was sitting in this room, invisible, when the boys were there, and on this night as well. Maybe even the first night Harry found it. This also could be a reason he puts Snape on Quirrell and why Filch is uh, is to report it to Snape and not to Dumbledore because Dumbledore needs to be at the mirror and have this chat with Harry. Dumbledore spends a lot of time explaining the mirror to Harry. He wants him to understand how it works, why he's seeing what he's seeing, why Ron would be seeing something completely different, and of course warning him not to go and try to find it again because he's moving it, but not without. But if you ever come across it, you will now be prepared. Tipping your hand, Dumbledore. Tipping your hand. But he doesn't tip his hand on what he sees in the mirror himself. It's definitely not socks or Nikes or Adidas or any other footwear. That leads us into chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel, and it starts super depressing. Harry isn't night wandering anymore, but he's having night terrors, constantly dreaming of his parents' deaths, which is just, we got somber earlier. This is just, it's not only his terror, um, it's just awful. Um, But that's not the only terror he's going through. They also learn that in the aftermath of Harry's near-death Quidditch experience, Snape is going to be refing the next game. And the kids, especially the ones playing, all freak out because the team thinks that Snape is going to cheat and make sure Gryffindor can't win and beat Slytherin for the cup. The trio think he's going to try to kill Harry again and will be in an even better position to do it this time as a ref rather than a spectator because he's going to be right there part of the match. Of course, the only part of any of this that's actually true is probably that he might cheat a little against Gryffindor because Snape. I don't have to finish that. That's the end of the Snape period. He hates Harry, after all, he, and he does cheat to try and help his team win things. But the real reason he's refing is on Dumbledore's orders to be closer to Harry in case Quirrell tries to kill him again. Snape will be in much better position to help. Help him not die, not help kill him. At least we think. Neville stumbles in after being cursed by, well, who else? Malfoy, the little bully boy. Again, I know people defend this kid and claim he's a victim of abuse, and I don't know exactly where I fall on all of it, but he does have a shitty dad who deserves a lot of blame for the Ideals that he raised Draco to have, but his mother absolutely spoils and loves him to death. It's not like he's locked in a cupboard. And how much this behavior—actively seeking out people to bully, insulting their families, stealing their stuff, plotting to try to get them in trouble, literally cursing them—where's the line in which he has to start taking some responsibility for at least some of his actions? Anyways, it's plot point because Harry tells Neville that he's worth 12 of Malfoy and he gives him a chocolate frog. Neville gives him back the card because apparently it's common knowledge that Harry collects them and it's Dumbledore. Again. Lightning bolts. See what he did there? He has a Jimmy Neutron brain blast and remembers where he saw the name Nicholas Flamel on his first day on the train the back of Dumbledore's chocolate frog card. And now we know what the object being guarded is. Hermione grabs a book the size of the Order of the Phoenix and they figure out how the stone works, turning any metal into gold and producing the elixir of life to make the drinker immortal. So basically, live forever, <laughs> live forever with all the gold you could ever possibly need. Magic rock. And this is why they couldn't find him before in the books that they were reading about that had, you know, a claim from the recent Wizards of the Age, which Ron astutely points out that Nicholas Flamel is 665. (laughs) So now we all have our plot points for the climax of the book, and we just have to find out what trigger is going to set it all into motion. So now it's Quidditch time, and we get a rare glimpse from the stands again this time to hear more Malfoy bullying and for Ron and Neville to go two-on-three fisticuffs with Draco and his goons. Ron on Malfoy, Neville on Crab and Goyle. Because badass. Uh, At the same time, Harry grabs the snitch in record time, probably at the same moment that Neville gets knocked out. Everyone is stoked, except for Snape and the Slytherins, of course, and even Dumbledore was there to congratulate Harry. And his quote, again, is super telling. Glad to see you haven't been brooding about that mirror. Been keeping busy. Excellent. He knows that Harry's been trying to put together the Nicholas Flamel mystery. That's how he's been keeping busy. And Dumbledore thinks it's excellent. Because that's exactly what he wants Harry to be doing. The master plan is in full swing. He's been making sure Harry gets clues along the way and has access to the tools he needs to riddle it all out. See what I did that time? Speaking of clues, Harry follows Snape to the forest where he's threatening Coral. Harry obviously misinterprets this as Snape trying to get Quirrell to help him get past Fluffy, not that Snape is the one taunting him about you know, knowing that Quirrell is trying to get past Fluffy. And it also leaves Harry thinking that there are other enchantments guarding the stone, which is correct. His inst- instincts here are pretty spot on. He's just got the wrong bad guy. And that's the chapter leading us into our scouting report. Scouting Report. If you're new to the podcast or watching on YouTube or just need a reminder, the Scouting Report segment of the Pallated Binge podcast is where we pick one character from the chapter or the chapters that we read and we really dive into them and kind of shine the spotlight on them. What did we learn? How are they acting? How do, does their behavior in the current chapters really um, influence where the character is going. And today we're going to talk about Dumbledore. We learn a lot about Dumbledore in this chapter, particularly how he's guiding Harry to the showdown at the end of this book. And it all starts with the invisibility cloak. I promised we would talk about it. Now we are. But we know as rereaders, that the note Harry receives on the Christmas gift containing the invisibility cloak was written in Dumbledore's slanted handwriting. It was Dumbledore who had the cloak after James left it in his possession. It was then Dumbledore who fulfilled the generational duty of the cloak by passing it down to Harry when James wasn't alive to do so himself. But why now? Harry's been at Hogwarts for nearly four months. He got there in September, why wait till Christmas? And why give it to him at all at this point? He's an 11-year-old boy. That's an incredibly valuable object. So valuable, in fact, that it led him to take it from James in the first place. And way more valuable than Harry could realize at this point. So not only is this kid definitely going to use it for some silly excursions and doing kid stuff in the school that you run, but he's probably... Going to be more careless than he should be with it, given its value, which proves true in the very next chapter that we're going to read. Well, let's talk about all of that stuff, starting with why he took it from James in the first place. James and Lily weren't hiding. Dumbledore asked to borrow the cloak to examine it. He claims it was because of the special nature of the cloak. He suspected that it was a halo. He was right. But also, I think that the timing here is telling. He took it after they went under the Fidelius charm. He'd known of the cloak for years at that point, but I think he chose that moment to avoid the potential that James would sneak out of the safety of the Fidelius charm on their house and put himself in unnecessary danger. Lily's letter that we later read in the final book tells us about how James was going stir crazy in that house and that he couldn't even sneak out under the cloak because Dumbledore had it. I think it was Dumbledore trying to keep them as safe as possible. None of them knowing the rat would be their downfall. So then why give it to Harry now? Short answer, master plan. We've been talking about it forever now. To this point, Harry's gotten some clues from Hagrid and pieced a few things together, but the trio is stuck. It's Christmas, so we're at about halfway, and Dumbledore needed a push. One way to get Harry kind of moving along a little bit. How's he going to do this? He doesn't want the kid to stall. He doesn't want to make it too obvious. Insert the cloak. It gives Harry means of investigating in a more stealthy manner. It also gives him a way to get to the mirror that Dumbledore almost definitely planted with the intent of Harry finding it. Why else would he be hiding out waiting for him? But also, the timing isn't accidental. At Christmas, almost nobody is going to be in the castle, which means Harry's more likely to use the cloak and he's less likely to run into anybody while he's doing it it's the perfect time for you know a little test run and for Dumbledore to plant some much needed information while there's less likelihood of interference Dumbledore's spinning a lot of plates and he's putting a lot of effort and pressure into an 11 year old boy but he's grooming him to basically be the savior of the wizarding world. One tool that can help him do that is one of three deathly hallows that he's giving to Harry right now. Let's do some foreshadowing.
1: For shadow
0: All right, so the foreshadow segment on the Belated Bench podcast is just what it sounds like. We take four things that foreshadow something to come later in the series, and I just share my favorite four from each chapter or chapters that we read for the episode. So uh, the four things that we're going with this week, number one, Ron teaching Harry wizard's chess. This comes back in a big way at the end of this book. And this is the obstacle that Prof McGee puts in place to protect the stone. Probably not a big surprise that it's some sort of a competition with her. Uh, They have to play a giant game of wizard chess and be the pieces. So you have to win the chess match and not die as a chess piece along the way. Or, as Ron will do, sacrifice yourself and. Hopefully, not die along the way. The second thing that we want to foreshadow this week is Harry receiving the Invisibility Cloak. Foreshadowing, well, pretty much everything. He uses this thing to sneak around in every single book. It saves his ass on multiple occasions. It turns out to be one of three Deathly Hallows, moving him very, well, at least at this point, uh, 33% of the way closer to becoming Master of Death, and he eventually unites all three of them and fulfills that um, title, if you will. And it all starts with Dumbledore giving him back his father's invisibility cloak as a Christmas present when he's 11. The third thing that we're going to foreshadow in this week's episode is Dumbledore teaching Harry how the Mirror of said works, and specifically his quote about if Harry ever does find it again, he'll be prepared. Not prepared for how to interpret it. Prepared for how to use it to get the sorcerers or philosophers Stone and save the day. Think about how stuck Harry would be in that chamber when he comes face to face to face with uh, Mort. Let's just put those two together if he was standing in front of that mirror, he would be just as confused as Coral, right? He wouldn't recognize what was happening in the mirror. He wouldn't know uh, how it worked. And he wouldn't have had this, this past experience with the mirror to draw back on. And maybe... As I'm talking through this, maybe it would have still worked out the same way. He would just be incredibly confused as to why he was seeing himself with you know now a big bulge in his pocket. Hey, um, the stone, just just the one stone. Um, although he does show stones getting to that point. Uh, We're going way down the rails. So I mean, maybe it would work out the same. But I do think that this is Dumbledore really, really planting that seed of recognition. Uh, into Harry of what to expect if he were to come across a stone again because he knows that that is the ultimate goal to put Harry back in front of this stone and ultimately retrieve said stone and keep it away from Crogmar. Anyway, the fourth thing that we want to talk about this week in the foreshadow segment is a quote. You're worth 12 of Malfoy. This is Harry encouraging Neville about being proud, you know, to be a Gryffindor and ultimately having some confidence to stand up for himself when he's getting bullied and reminding him what the trait of being a Gryffindor truly is bravery. Of course, this gives him the confidence to take on both Crabbe and Goyle at one time in a physical altercation and end up being knocked out in the hospital wing. But God love Neville anyway. It also adds to Neville's confidence and bravery for later in the book when he's going to stand up to the trio to try and stop them from sneaking out again, to try to save them from, you know, losing a ton of points for Gryffindor again. And his general growth as a character and as he does grow as a character, as a wizard, gets his own wand, and he's ultimately going to become the leader of Dumbledore's army when the trio drops out of school to go on a scavenger hunt. And finally, when Neville kills Nagini, the final horcrux, opening the door for Harry and Voldemort to square off in the final climax of the series. When Harry wins that duel, if you can even call it a duel, Voldemort has No more Horcruxes to fall back on. He's dead for good. And it's because of Neville. Also, he does actually die. He doesn't have a prodigy child with Bellatrix and nobody goes time traveling to bring him back to the future. He's dead. Like, dead, dead. And Neville gets a whole lot of credit for him being dead, dead. And it starts here with Harry encouraging him, giving him some confidence, because he's definitely worth 12 of Malfoy. Let's do our game of inches. A game of inches. All right. So, the game of inches, this is where we take one thing from the chapter or chapters that we read for the week and we just tweak the circumstances just a little bit change one small um, detail in the chapters and see what kind of snowball effect that could have on the outcome of our series as a whole and so this week what we're going to talk about is what if harry didn't find the mirror during his late night wandering the biggest hole you can poke in the theory is that Dumbledore wanted Harry to find the mirror. And it's in this random classroom that Harry's never been to before. And if all the places that he could have run and tried to hide while scrambling away from Filch and Snape, it was a really lucky random chance that he landed in the exact spot that this mirror was. Hell, he could barely even find it again the next night in order to show Ron. So it wasn't exactly a high likelihood he'd run into it under any circumstances, let alone normal ones. What if he ran past it to another room? What if he never went to the library and he went to the, I don't know, Quidditch Pitch or the Great Hall instead on his first invisible exploration? What if he was actually caught by Filch? or found by Peeves? What if he was too afraid to even use it and sneak out at all and just sat in his dorm? How would he have ever come across the mirror? And how would Dumbledore have ever taught him how it worked and essentially prepared him for how to use it later? I mean, of course, we talked about it uh, just a few minutes ago. Possibly this winds up the same, but I think that this is an important key moment dumbledore teaching harry about the mirror i think something about that led into his ability to use it later to retrieve the stone i think if he went into it fully ignorant of how what the mirror was how it worked you know it wouldn't have worked properly uh, perhaps or he would have seen something else like you know maybe his parents or something you know maybe dumbledore was invisible everywhere and he planted it when he saw Harry going into the room. Maybe it wasn't always in that room. Maybe he put it there, likely, already hiding the stone, like, you know, uh, that Sorry, let me back up. I think that at this point, the mirror already has the stone in it. Maybe Dumbledore is summoning it of, you know, somehow, um, well magic of course but from its spot underneath the school where it would be right now uh, protecting the sorcerers or the philosopher's stone uh, and he's kind of waiting to see where harry is going to go and just plopping it down you know if where he, wherever he thought that harry was going to end up if that's the case he could have planted it anywhere at an advantageous time in order to feed harry the information that he needed so i mean that's one possible outcome maybe if harry was caught you know uh the he would just set up his detention to be a way to get him near or in front of the mirror maybe the punishment would have been you know cleaning the mirror Maybe if Harry didn't sneak out at all, he would have looped Hagrid in to invite Harry for tea and ask him for help in a quiet part of the castle for some reason, where they'd just happen upon the mirror, and it would be Hagrid somehow slipping up again, just giving Harry too much information and pushing the plot forward, which is used a lot in this book by Dumbledore as a way of getting Harry information. But no matter what, we have to believe that it was no accident that Dumbledore got Harry to the mirror. His language was just too telling during their interactions in these chapters to believe that he's not leading Harry along this quest. And this piece of the puzzle is needed for Harry to reach the end goal. So it's fun for me to just speculate on what would be other ways that he could get the mirror in front of Harry or... You know get harry in front of the mirror i don't um yeah i if you wanted to really have some have some fun with it we could do off the cuff a few things that are just comical um i think we're led to believe that the uh, the dorms in gryffindor tower have you know some sort of um you know place for them to store their clothes or something what if harry went to open his trunk and just wow, mirror, Um, or he's, you know, going uh, to the bathroom, and he goes to wash his hands, and the mirror that he looks up into is the mirror of Erised, and all of a sudden, he's surrounded by his closest family that he never met in a bathroom. Maybe Moaning Myrtle would be there, and it'd be a party. I don't know. Uh, Where else could they, could he have possibly Forced the mirror in front of Harry uh, in a way that would be seemingly organic, put it in front of his locker in the locker room for uh, Quidditch. I don't know. I'm at this point, I'm just riffing about other ways that uh, Dumbledore could have got the mirror in front of Harry. Um, it's interesting because it does seem incredibly random to have the mirror. Otherwise, just sitting in the middle of an empty classroom. Like it's just always there. I don't buy that for a second. Let's give away some meaningless awards before we get out of here. All right, here we go. So uh, if you're new to the podcast or just need a reminder, again, the meaningless awards segment each week we give away three awards to uh, two go to characters in the story Um, the third one is up for interpretation this could go to a character it could go to the author it could just go to the plot itself um, and that will make more sense in just a minute but first this week we are going to start with the winner of our episode uh, in getting awarded the game ball the game ball so Honorable mention here to Neville for taking on Malfoy's goons two-on-one. He was in close consideration for being the game ball recipient this week. But Harry's the standout in these chapters. He gets the invisibility cloak. He gets to see his family in the mirror. He gets one-on-one training. I, I, I mean time with Dumbledore. He learns how to use the Mirror of Erised. He figured out the Nicholas Flamel mystery. He wins Quidditch for Gryffindor in record time. He pisses Snape off, which is great. And he overhears super important information for the main event to come. Even if he does get the opponent wrong for this game, he gets a pass with everything else that he's gotten right. And he gets this week's game ball. So now let's do the red card. Red card. So the game ball goes to the winner of the chapter and the standout character in a positive way. The red card is going to go to the worst character in the chapter that we wish that we could just kick out of the game completely. We're going to do another honorable mention here. Uh, This is for Malfoy for um, his instances of bullying. At least Ron lands some haymakers but uh, the real losers here are the dursleys they gave harry a shitty christmas gift with the little 50 cent piece or whatever but more than that they've raised him in a way that he didn't even recognize his own parents when he saw them in the mirror bear said he's gone his whole life without seeing a picture of them hearing a story about them Knowing what they were like or just how much he resembled them in appearance and personality, decent human beings would have taken him in and at least tried to make him feel a connection to the family that he lost. But the Dursleys, they won't even let him ask questions in their presence. Not only should they be thrown out of this book with a red card, they should have been fed to that snake at the zoo. Let's do the fumble. Fumble. The fumble. So the fumble is where the story or just something that happens drops the ball. Uh, Something that just doesn't quite land for me. Uh, The first one this week is the twins hitting Quirrell in the back of the head with snowballs and thus Voldemort's face. Uh, I talked plenty about this earlier, so I won't repeat the whole spiel that uh, I gave at the beginning of our play-by-play, but if you uh, happen to be watching on YouTube and you're getting this in segments, go ahead and check out our uh, first play-by-play video to get that fun (laughs) fun rabbit hole that we went down. Uh, I'm just going to say that there's no Wizarding World where I believe that Voldemort is going to let this slide. Parasitic baby Voldy or not, he's getting them back through coral however necessary Uh, my other thing here is the whole coral snape exchange at the very end of the um of the last chapter that we read i've called this out in the halloween chapter as well but it seems like every interaction with these two characters is just a compounding plot problem maybe not a whole but at least dumb, uh, Snape gets Quirrell to meet him in the forest after a Quidditch match, which is its just ridiculous. We just needed a way for Harry to eavesdrop without being caught. And during the exchange, Snape is taunting him about figuring out how to get past Fluffy and all of that. Quirrell is stuttering and he's stammering and he's playing dumb, saying he doesn't know what Snape's even talking about. Severus, Snape caught him three chapters ago trying to get past Fluffy. And you not only you know, agree to meet in this secluded place and now you're gonna act like you don't understand the accusations at hand, the act makes no sense. Snape letting it go makes no sense. The only purpose any of this serves is to get Harry information to solve the mystery. But it's a really, really stupid plot point. Everything between Snape and Quirrell. Just dumb. With that, we've reached the end of this episode of Bladed Bench Podcast. Again, don't forget to head over to First Year's Pod in order to hear the chat that we had over there. And tune in next week to hear Sarah (laughs) from First Year's Pod co-host our discussion right here on the binge as always shout out to producer jack who we worked like a dog remember to follow and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts leave a review if you enjoyed the show please five stars and please (laughs) do that Uh, become a patron over on patreon for early access to ad free episodes which is available to both tiers and Reminder that those on the All Star level also receive exclusive content. There's a link in the show notes as well as for social media, uh, which is Belated Binge on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And the show segments are available on YouTube. Finally, you can also join the discussion by emailing belated binge at gmail. If you are reading along, next week we're going to do chapters 14 and 15 of. Sorcerer's or Philosopher's Stone with Sarah from First Year's Pod. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on the Belated Binge Podcast.
1: Explaniarmus.
0: It's time to disarm your reluctancy and explain how you can support this podcast. Belated Binge is a fully independent production. I read the books, write the script, record the episode, edit the recording, pick and produce the sounds, manage the content schedule, manage social media, promote the podcast, and feed Producer Jack. Any costs from equipment to software to website development, marketing, any of that comes out of my pocket. And despite how many times I've been told we look alike, I'm no Harry Potter. No half-giant has ever taken me to a bank full of cash and said, Hey, you're rich! Having a podcast takes a lot. And it's not easy. So your support is literally the only thing that keeps the show going. And there are a few key ways you can support the podcast. First, word of mouth is absolutely huge. If you enjoy the show, please tell every one of your Potterhead friends to give it a shot. Also... Many of the pod players now support a rating and review function. Apple, Spotify, GoodPods, Podchaser, just to name a few. And it takes about four seconds to leave a five-star rating on the app. This can be greatly impactful. If you have more than four seconds and the app that you're using supports written reviews, that's even better. Think about how reliant we are on reviews. Whether you're buying something new or deciding what book to read next, We're always looking at ratings and reviews to weigh into our decision. Podcasts are no different, and your positive review could be the difference in someone discovering the show and deciding to give it a chance. Another great way to support the show is engaging in the conversation yourself, whether it be answering the specific questions I pose during the show or on social media. Maybe you just have a theory of your own or you want to leave some feedback. I'd love to hear from you and maybe even share it on the podcast. You can submit your thoughts by leaving a voicemail on the website, belatedbinge.com. Just click the little leave a voicemail icon on the page that you visit. If you don't like the sound of your own voice, you can also respond in written form by using the contact form on the website, leaving comments or DMs on social media. My handle is belatedbinge across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also email belated binge at gmail.com the final and perhaps most impactful form of support is to become a patron on patreon i've made a ton of updates to patreon membership benefits this season and some goals to shoot for as well there are currently six tiers available designed to fit any budget level ranging from one dollar to twenty dollars with all the bells and whistles so Benefits range from early access to ad-free versions of the show, recognition on the website, bonus episodes, patron shout-outs, show prep notes, insider participation, binge award participation, input on show content, and future benefits, a drawing for a physical gift sent from me to you and others. I've also set some growth goals that'll unlock new benefits for existing tiers and maybe even adding some more stuff as we go. The first goal is to get 10 total patrons, at which point I will start a patrons discord server. However you choose to support the show, thank you. I truly appreciate it.